for the word of the Lord this morning. Well, those of you that don't know, uh, my name is Chris Drinnen, and uh, uh, I'm on staff here at Hillcrest, and I primarily work with our students, and I'm, I'm just delighted to join you. There's a few of our volunteers here still in the building, but most of you, I understand, online tuning in. Uh, it's my joy to be with you and in your living rooms this morning and online with you uh, as we kick off our Christmas series. Now, I don't know if you heard of this, but it's sort of starting to trend online, this idea of January free. Has anybody else heard about this? It kind of kicked off with free Tim Hortons coffee, and it's beginning to take the world by storm. And here's what it is. They're hoping that it's going to trend and go viral. It's this idea of people giving away free stuff, and businesses are getting involved. And so I'd like to kind of hear what your idea is of what you would like to get free this January. So uh, for our, those of us uh, sitting online, if you want to engage with us, jump on the chat, and I want you to let me know what it is that this January you would love to get for free. And here it is. It's colossal generosity. Uh, car dealerships are getting behind this. Big names, phones, grocery stores. When you show up uh, and you go to buy something, they're just going to say, you know what? It's all for free. A worldwide movement of generosity. You know, because They're wanting to kick off 2021 a lot better than 2020. And what a better way to do that than to give away free stuff. Isn't this good news? Now, let us know online what you're you're leaning towards. Now, I know that this, this sounds great news, right? Unfortunately, none of it's true. I apologize. Oh, Pastor Chris, how can you do this? Kick off your sermon with fake news. How could you do this? Now, I want you to just think about how, as I was explaining that and selling you this, what was happening inside you? For many of you, when you hear the promise of free stuff and good news, it's a natural human tendency to want to lean in and hope that it's true. Good news, people lean in hoping it's true. But you know what? It works too with bad news that upon hearing it, like, When I said, sorry, it's all a lie, and it's not true, there's an inkling of you that when you hear bad news, you're hoping that it's not true, right? It's human nature. Well, we just heard Pastor Doug, Doug, read us the Christmas story, a part of the Christmas story about this birth announcement of the Savior of the world. My question to you is, what direction were you leaning on hearing that? Were you leaning in forward as it's good news to you? Or were you leaning back with skepticism? And I suppose there's a third posture too. Were you not leaning in any direction? Was it simply something that you've heard so many times that it falls on, yeah, I've heard this and I'm very familiar with it and we're not leaning at all? Well, in fact, this birth announcement is so, so important. I'd like to take a look at those verses again. And here's what they are. And keep in mind, the experience of this birth announcement, um, it's made by an angel after hundreds of years of silence on the God front among God's people. Uh, The Christmas story has angelic activity at every single turn. And so it's important. It should cause us to rise to attention and listen. And here it is. This is what that angel said in Luke 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I want you to say that with me. This idea of good news, great joy 
all people. And what was this little bit of news all about? Why was this angel professing that this is the deal? This is good news, great joy, and it's for all people? Well, verse 11 tells us, it says that today in the town of David, a Savior, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. What an incredible birth announcement. A Savior for the entire world. This birth announcement is the heart of what Christianity is all about about that Jesus came into the world to save it and this is good news yet why is it during a season that celebrates this birth announcement we don't always find people leaning in to the good news sometimes we find them leaning away or not leaning in any direction just being unaffected by it And the truth is, is that today listening, we probably have all three kinds of people. We have people with the posture that believe the good news already and are eagerly leaning in. Well, today in our talk, I really hope that the scriptures that we uncover and the things that we look in encourage you to lean even further in on the edge of your seat to this good news that's being proclaimed. But there's others with us too that maybe hold back a little bit in skepticism or in disbelief. And it's my hope that as we look to the scriptures today, that you have an opportunity to experience this story in its original form and that it might just have you leaning in because it is good news. And for those of us maybe uh, with such familiarity that we're um, not leaning in any direction, I hope that the fresh experience of the good news of Jesus will will cause us to move to the edge of our seats in excitement. Now, isn't it interesting how news can make you lean? To some, it's good news, but to other people, it's not good news. That our experiences of the news uh, uh, influences our opinion or interpretation of the information. Isn't that right? Back to my fake news story from the beginning. January free is good news to everybody who's going out and looking for free stuff. And myself, as I um, participated in this, I would be hanging out at the GM dealership. That's where I would be found. A brand new GMC all-terrain vehicle. That is where I'd be hanging out. I would take the month off work. I would just, I would live there. I would tent outside just in the hope that the free extended to me would include a pickup truck. Now, that's good news to me, and it's good news to us. How do you think the shareholders of GM would feel? Or business owners, or those that own grocery stores, where this idea of worldwide generosity and randomly giving stuff for free, while it's good news to us, it'd be horrible news to them, at least to their bottom line, right? Because somebody's got to pay for that. And yet, unless their act of generosity is their goal, it would become good news to them too, as they believe in what they're setting out to do. Uh, But our, our experiences are so fickle, aren't they? They change based on what we've experienced. For instance, I was thinking, and you, probably many of you are probably in the same boat. You've still got shopping to do, right? You've still got that special someone. So I want you to think of that special someone that you have yet to buy a Christmas present for. 
And I want you to think of what's the best thing, and maybe a lot of you are asking this question, what's the best thing that I could possibly go and get for them? Now, as you're holding it in your mind, you wake up one morning and you're like, okay, this person, I still got to buy a gift to show them all my love and all my appreciation. So I'm going to set out to do it. And as you leave your home to go to the store to buy this incredible gift, uh, you're coming down your walkway and with all the ice that we've had, it's slippery out there and you slip and you bang your elbow. It's a horrible experience. It hurts like crazy. And as you hold your elbow, you're like, man, that just had to happen on a day like today. But you pull yourself together, you get in your vehicle, and you go on your way to the grocery store. Or you go on your way to the store to pick up what you need. As you're going there, uh, again with it icy, you stop at a stop sign and somebody runs into the back of you. Bummer deal. You get out, you take a look at it. Now it's only a scratch. You decide it's not worth calling insurance or anything like that. Everybody's okay. But you're just, you're mad that your car got hit and it's got a scratch. But you persevere on your way to the grocery store. You get, or to the store. You get, I'm, clearly food is the way to my heart. Go to the grocery store, buy me food. That's, that's clearly what I'm getting at this morning. You get, to the, you get to the store. You're wandering around the aisles. You go to where this item is supposed to be and it's not there. They're sold out. You're furious. You're ecstatic. You, you try to get an employee to help you, but they're busy and run off their feet and they're less than positive and excited to have to deal with you and they tell you that there's just none available. We're sorry. And so as you wander around the store aimlessly looking for something else, you just see it. You discover it. You find it. It was somebody had had it and they'd stuck it on a different shelf and you find this gift. You're like, this day is finally looking up. You grab this item and you're headed down the store. Now there's a few other things that you need to pick up. So you set the item down and you're looking, picking up this other stuff and somebody else comes up and tries to grab this gift and you have this tension-filled thing where you're like, no, I had this first and they're like, well, you weren't holding it. It was sitting on the shelf and you have this bit of a banter and it just puts a bad taste in everybody's mouth. But finally, you get this gift and you're like, okay, you grab your other items. You're like, I'm getting to the till. I'm getting home because I'm starting to rethink my intentions of this gift. You get up to the till and you reach for your wallet and you realize it's at home. So you do what anybody would do. You go and bury this gift in a pile of clothing, hoping that it's still there. And on your way home, you're mad, you're furious, and you're not even sure you like this person anymore, and you don't even know why you want to go and get them a gift in the first place. Now, what started out as pure motive good intention to want to buy someone a gift and bless them is spoiled by negative experiences. And I can't help but think that sometimes that's what happens with the Christmas story. This birth announcement that is good news of great joy for all people is tainted by our experiences of it. But today we have an opportunity to lean into three stories and rediscover how good is this good news about Jesus. And so, this story starts, Christianity starts with a person, the birth of Jesus. It really was good news for all people. In fact, uh, in Luke chapter 16, verse 16, this is Jesus speaking. He says, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, so that's John the Baptist, the last prophet before Jesus. Since that time, good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing their way into it. You see, everything changed at the coming of Jesus. 
His life and his teachings are good news. And if we don't hear it as that right now, perhaps it's because we've had an experience or we've heard it wrong or we've misunderstood it. Because the truth of is in the, in the original hearing, the message of Jesus was so good, people leaned in and wanted it to be true before they were even convinced of it being true. So as we turn to Scripture now, I want to look at three passages with you uh, this morning. Let's pray. Let's ask that this reading isn't just text on a page, but that we engage the story with our hearts and our souls to encounter it afresh. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you're with us. Help us to see you clearly. And by your Spirit, would you remove the obstacles in our minds and in our attitudes and in our assumptions? Would you open our hearts to perceive you for who you are as the Savior of the world? Amen. Remember, good news, great joy, all people. That's the original version of the message of Christ. So let's jump in. So how good was this good news? Well, as Luke tells it, we're going to look at three stories. The very first one is that with Jesus... Forgiveness was announced ahead of time. And for that, if you've got your Bibles handy, we're jumping in at Luke uh, 5. Uh, We'll look at verses 17 to 26, but I'll kind of paraphrase the first little bit here. So here we are. Uh, One day Jesus is teaching and he goes to a guy's house and a large crowd gathers. And we're told that this crowd is so great that latecomers couldn't get access into the building whatsoever. And so there's a group of, the Bible refers to them as men, um, but I actually think that they're teenagers, right? You're considered a man, you're considered an adult in Jewish tradition by the time you hit 13. And as a student ministries pastor, I work with lots of 13 plus teenagers. And I'm suggesting to you that these were teenagers. And the reason for that is because stuff gets busted, okay, in this story. So for men, 13 plus, we'll call it, They show up with their friend on a stretcher who's paralyzed. And they want him to see Jesus. Because the good news about Jesus has been spreading, that he's a miracle worker. That if you're sick, he touches you and you become well. If something's broken, he touches it and it's healed. And so they want their friend to encounter this. But when they get to this house, there's just absolutely no room for them to get in. So, not easily being turned away, sounding much 13 plus to me, they climb up onto the roof and figure we're getting into this one way or another. And they begin to tear the place apart. They take the ceiling apart and imagine being in there. If you're in this crowd and you're close to Jesus, you've got this prime seat and then all of a sudden dust particles start falling on your head. I was, like, getting, my, I was getting my hair cut um, earlier uh, for this occasion, actually. Um, and they were doing some renovation on the second floor of where I was getting my hair cut. And so it's funny, as the... Uh, Uh, tradesmen are stomping around up there and moving their stuff. There is like dust particles coming down and it sounds like the roof is getting tore off the building. Anyways, similar experience except literally the roof is getting tore off the building. And they tear off the building and so there'd be a flash of light from the sun coming in and these men lower this person down through the hole. I also think this could be a way that food is probably being delivered here in a global pandemic, right? Fast food, service here, social distancing. 
As it comes in, get this, we'll jump in here at verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Wow. What did Jesus say? Did he say, oh, when he saw their effort, when he saw their determination, when he, no, 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 when he saw their desire, no, 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 when he saw their faith. There's something about Jesus that he can see faith in people. Now, verse 21, there's some Pharisees and the teachers of the law that are there. Now, these guys represent who have sort of the the handle on religion, right? It's their way of life. They're the ones that are in the know. They've studied the scriptures. They know it. They're the ones who teach the law. And they're standing there, and they're Hair on the back of their neck goes up in hearing Jesus say this, and they're not all that pleased. Here's what they say, verse 21. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? These guys represent the way to be forgiven. They have the corner on that market. They've got the law. They've got the temple. Where you go when you do something wrong, you go to the temple to be forgiven, to offer a sacrifice. They can't be fooled. They know that God alone can forgive sins. They own the system and the access to God. And yet Jesus had just made a claim to bypass all of that. So then who is this blasphemer, they're asking. Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking and ask, why are you thinking those things in your heart? And he poses it this way. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? Jesus turns their question on its head. So which is easier to say? Well, if I'm honest, wouldn't your sins are forgiven be easier to say? Because how do you see any evidence from that? That's between, you, that's between him and God. So it would be easier to say because the harder one to say would be get up and walk because there's evidence from that. I'd be way more shy to say that one. This is where my thinking goes. But in 24 it says, but I want you to know here, this is Jesus saying, that the Son of Man has authority on earth. Very important. I have, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately, the man stood up in front of them, took what he'd been laying on, and went home praising God. Now, I mean, that's a miracle. That's phenomenal. But don't miss the point of what Jesus was driving at here. Jesus answers the question of who to the religious leaders. He is God. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a prophet to come. He is God. He has authority here on earth to forgive sins. Now everyone's amazed at this. And they gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen a remarkable thing. We've seen remarkable things today. So some leave this experience, they leave this house having seen something remarkable. But somebody left that house 
experiencing something remarkable. Not just the healing to his physical body, but the experience of having Jesus look him in the eye and say, friend, your sins are forgiven. Wow. Praise the Lord. It's almost unbelievable. But he leaves believing in someone remarkable. And that's good news. That Jesus is able to pronounce forgiveness ahead of time. You don't have to die and wait till you get to heaven to know how things work out between you and your sin. Jesus has the authority to announce with confidence to you here on earth that your sins are forgiveness. This is great news. It should cause all to lean in. Wow. Second story. With Jesus, anyone can take a step to follow him regardless of where they're starting from. And it's actually literally the story right after this one in Luke 5, 27 to 31. So after this, verse 27, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Now, keep in mind, this is a tax collector. His name is Levi. It's known that he's from Jewish background. These weren't the most popular people at all. At all. Especially to the rest of Israel. Because they were... They were Jews. They were Israelites. And yet, they were working with the Roman government to collect taxes. Okay? This is the guy that when you've seen him, you tried to avoid him. Okay? I think this is why, uh, you know, Canada Revenue Agency doesn't send somebody to your door to collect your taxes every year. That would not be a fun job. I think they realize they want to keep it as impersonal as possible, right? Do it online, fill it out. You don't, you don't actually, you know, you try not to do it all without talking to someone, right? Because all of us, if it was a physical person showing up to the door to collect our taxes at the year end, who would answer the door? I certainly wouldn't the first time, just being honest. I'm going to make him work for this. I'm going to my, he can come back. This isn't a convenient time with me, you know, there's, 15 minutes left in my Netflix show. I'm not answering the door. Or I just sent one of my kids. There we go. Invite him in. Give him 15 minutes with the drinking kids in the kitchen. See how he likes that. Right? No, no, no. Nobody likes paying taxes. It's not an enjoyable experience. And Levi, as a tax collector, embodied that. So nobody liked him. To top it off, he was probably dishonest. It was well known that tax collectors at the time, as they're collecting money, they collect more than what they needed to supplement their own income. So likely, likely a dishonest guy. Think about Jesus' followers here. He just healed a guy. It was amazing, forgave some guy's sin, caused a huge ruckus. They couldn't be more excited to follow this guy. And he stopped at this toll booth and invites a tax collector to be part of the group. Who wants that? Like, the disciples were probably repulsed by that, and kind of like, oh, Jesus, do you have to? Like, we don't, like what if he says yes? Like, then he's hanging out with us, and what are people going to think about us? Verse 28, Levi got up, left everything, and followed him, followed Jesus. Think of this from Levi's perspective. He knows he's a tax collector. He knows he's not 
all that popular with people other than his tax-collecting buddies. And yet here comes a rabbi who sees him differently. No other, nobody else has invited him to follow. No other rabbi has reached out like this guy has. And yet Jesus asks him to follow him, to take a step right where he's at, to follow Jesus. Wow. It says that Levi left everything. I'm not too sure about what it means by everything. Does leave everything there and follow Jesus or what? But in the next sense, we get the sense that Levi held on to stuff. It's almost like he, he invited Jesus into everything because in the next sentence we find Levi throws Jesus a party. Who? That sounds attractive in this season, right? Right now it's a party of six in the Drinnen household every night, all night for the foreseeable future. <laughs> Getting invited to a party would be awesome. And so Levi held a great banquet, in verse 29, held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Oh, great, I know what you're thinking, more tax collectors. We should not be surprised. They're probably Levi's only actual friends, or friends who are wanting to associate with him. And I'm sure they'd sit around and they'd joke about taxation, right? How to do better at their job, how to kind of guilt people into it or make it less painful, you know? Call it a... Call it an environmental tax, you know, har- harmonized sales tax. People are much more easier to let go of their money. Well, what's that? Harmony and tax, how does that work together? I don't know. So they're there scheming, and Jesus is right in the thick of it, and, and Levi, for some reason, it seems like he couldn't be happier. But there's something else going on. There's some people that maybe should be there that, that aren't, uh, or those that are standing off. I, I don't know how it works out, but here in verse 30, It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you remember them from the last story, who belong to their sect, they're complaining to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now here the understanding is that these people are unclean, that to associate with them, to be in contact with them, you become unclean. And you have to go through ceremonial washes to get right again. But Jesus doesn't worry about any of that. He's just right in the thick. Perhaps the disciples were also maybe keeping some social distancing because the Pharisees are close enough to ask to complain to them about it. So maybe the disciples are like, I'm not too sure I'm ready to go in there. And yet Jesus answers them here in verse 31. He says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, there there are none righteous but Christ. And so this comment has more to do with Jesus is saying, I haven't come to call the self-righteous. Meaning those that don't think that they need any help. However, you know, those who, who think that they're healthy and think that they're in good shape, how often do they go to the doctor? Not very often, right? They think they're in good shape. There's nothing wrong. Why go? But those who are experiencing pain and discomfort and sickness... Well, those are the ones who know that something isn't right. I need help. And so they frequent a doctor. It's the same idea that Jesus is saying, I've come to call the sick. Those who know that there's something wrong. And he calls them to himself. I love this idea of of repentance. It's this idea of turning from one thing to another. Kind of 180 degree turn. Turning from your sin. Turning from that which is causing the unhealth and looking to Christ. 
looking to God. This is good news. Because through repentance, God begins to produce change in us and make us more like him, to think his thoughts. And often, to be honest with you, sometimes we get a little bit distorted. Sometimes we make such a big deal about turning from sin and staying away from sin like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And we forget that repentance, true repentance, is turning to someone. It's not about just avoiding those things that are bad, but it's actually turning to someone, turning to Christ. And I would, I would suggest that repentance is at first and foremost turning to Christ and let the sin work its way out. But you turn to Christ. Now like Levi, I think we, we all get distracted and go back to our tax booths. And I think in this story, we need to understand that Jesus, with Jesus, anyone can take a step to follow him, no matter where they're starting from. This is better than true. This is good news. It fills us with great joy, and we need to remember it's for all people. But the news keeps getting better. Here's my third story. With Jesus, followers are not just to be good, but to do good. And for this one, we're going to look at Luke 6, 27 to 36. Now, this is one of the, the, the hardest teachings from Jesus, I think, it is, to, to be obedient to and to follow through with. And it can also be one of the most confusing. But let's jump in. Here's what Jesus is saying. He says, But to you, this is Luke 6, 27, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold from them your shirt. Give to everyone who asks of you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have done unto you. I wrestle with those verses. I go, okay, Jesus, what are you talking about here? This is a challenge. Loving your enemies, uh, letting people take without requesting it back, that's very, very, very counter what I'm used to in my behavior. So what do you mean, Jesus? This is a tall order. Well, Jesus goes on to actually explain in verse 32, which I'm very grateful for. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. What he's saying is if you do good to those who do good to you, there's nothing remarkable about that. It's natural. It's a worldly survival kind of feel to it. It's kind of good in a sense that that kind of good has always been around. They love me, so I'll love them. They were mean to me, so I'll be mean to them. Could also be true, right? In that saying. It's kind of a, a sit back and respond kind of existence. There's no initiative in that style of living. But God has bigger plans for our lives. God has a greater call on those who choose to follow him. And here's the kicker. Verse 35, he says, But love your enemies and do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything back. 
Then your reward will be great, and you will be, get this, children of the Most High, because he is kind to the, uh, the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. God wants us to love like him, not like what makes sense in the world. This is great news. He wants us to model. And why is it so great? It's because if we're honest, I've been ungrateful. I've been wicked. And so this is good news that God extends kindness to those who are ungrateful and wicked. There's a huge difference here. That kind of love that you look at and say, it's all good. This word also shows that the evidence of God's forgiveness, the proof of our action in following him, shows up in the fruit of our life. That you forgive as you've been forgiven. That you love as you've been loved. So the question is, is why are more Christians like this? If this is what God is asking from us and desires for us, Why isn't the whole world leaning into this good news? Because they've experienced good from Christians. Well, I mean, I think there's a whole host of reasons. But I know the greatest trap that I get caught in is this notion that I think God is only calling me just to believe. To believe in him. To believe what he can do. That he is God and he can forgive my sins. I'm fully on board with that. That's good news to me. But I forget that like Levi, he looks to all of us and he doesn't just say, believe in me. He says, follow me. Do the things that I am doing. Be like me. And that's such a tall order if we're trying to do it in ourselves. But the truth is, is that God invites us all into a space where he wants to fill us with his spirit to enable us to live into love like Jesus did. It's good news for us. It should fill us with great joy. We should remember that it's for all people. As I, as I close, I want us to remember that this birth announcement, this good news, great joy for all people, was not fully realized at Jesus' birth, but rather after his death and his resurrection. Then the disciples got it. And you know what? They didn't just believe that it was true for them or their generation, but they were convinced that it was true for all people of every nation, every tribe, and every generation throughout history. So they made sure to tell people. They made sure to show people the love of God. And that's been continuing on for thousands of years. And so I want to ask you, uh, as I close, which direction are you leaning? And if you still find that you're leaning back or not leaning anywhere, I want you to examine the reason why. And maybe it's because you've strayed from understanding the original story and the good news that it is. And I want to encourage you that it's never too late as we learn from the stories. Anyone can take a step towards Jesus right from where they're at. For those 
no matter which way you're leaning in regards to this Christmas story, I, I want to encourage you that the, you can get on track and headed in the right direction. And I, I want to close just with a simple prayer. We've prayed it here before. We call it sort of this prayer of commitment. But I want to invite you uh, at home or those that are in the building that, that it doesn't matter which way you're leaning, you can pray this prayer. And it could be a call for help or a prayer of submission or a prayer of excitement and rejoicing because of the good news. And it's simply this. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. I put my faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's a Christmas story. Good news, great joy for all people. Be blessed this week. Amen.